0: Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know that if you're only listening to the u you Mind, you're only getting half the story. Check out our sister podcast, Creeping Wave Radio, to hear what happens when the mics go off. New season coming in October, so now's the perfect time to catch up. Link's in the description below. Napoleon! Uh, yes sir, Mr. Scratch sir. Uh, what seems to be the problem?
1: Did you let a coyote loose in my lair?
0: He turned into a coyote already? No way. I want to see.
2: First, you bring a lizard man onto the premises who harasses my poor daughters.
0: Actually, he was not the instigator in that.
1: Now you see fit to bring beast into my home.
0: Um, I don't think he's a beast exactly. Uh, More like an esoteric, Nazi-fighting desert battle coyote. And also, he wrote a book. See?
1: If dynamite, rockets, or spring shoes are going to be involved, then I'll thank you
0: to show him the door. No, no, none of that. I I promise uh, to keep things under control this time. Don't be scared, now. But it looks like you just wandered straight into you mind country. That's you mind, short for unaffiliated mind games, and you ain't never gonna be the same again. Brace yourself, it's time for a red hot truth injection. Oh yeah, that's right, bitch. We're rounding up the sheeple and shaking them awake. You mind? Too damn bad. We're gonna set fire to the wool over your eyes. Feel the burn, baby. Hot damn. We're toppling the lives of the mainstream media, one by one. Woo-wee! Watch them bad boys fall. Hey, Universe A, hey. this is Universe B, Colin, and we're gonna tear you a new one. You mind? Hi! Okay, so welcome to the You Mind, everybody. Our guest today is, um, Sonri. Is that your name? Am I saying here? Welcome here, boss! Thorny. 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 Like a
2: bush. Maybe that didn't come out right.
0: Oh my. Uh,
2: like a cactus, cactus, cactus. Let's make it cactus.
0: Okay. Okay. Thorny. Got it. So, um, is that a family name or is that short for something?
2: That is short. That's, uh, the first name. The second name is bastard. Ah, thorny bastard. That's me.
0: Hmm. And, um, so I, i guess it was a difficult birth for your mother
2: well that brings us back to what i said the first time but uh, <laughs> I, I hope not so, she, she, you... she's never revealed that to me <laughs> okay
0: so how, how do you get a name like that or is...
2: um i used it's because of the way i used to deal i probably still do deal with uh sanctimonious cultural marxist assholes
0: i see yeah yeah yeah, we don't like I, those.
2: No, I, I kind of <laughs> tell them, you know, what they're secretly thinking, mm. Mm. and they don't like that.
0: You know, I found people don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't. So okay, great. So I first. <laughs> so I found out about you through um, Giuseppe Farrow of SDSU and that South Dakota State University, not San Diego State University. Um, and I thought of,
2: that was UCSD. Uh, oh have, no, a, that's a different school.
0: Yeah, they got two of them. They they got yeah. two of them. <laughs> Why
2: well, you got two whole universities there?
0: No, I know. <laughs> I know. You got.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that ain't no one horse town you're at, sister. No. no.
0: <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, Pharaoh, Doctor Pharaoh's an interesting guy. Um, he dresses kind of weird. Not like I'm one to talk, but um, really into his World War II flight jacket. Really into his Australian cowboy hat. Uh, never take. Have you ever seen him with those? On? Well,
2: I uh, I believe the proper term Napoleon yeah. is digger hat. D- it's digger an Australian hat. digger hat. Okay, okay. I guess they okay. wear it when they dig, but I'm not really sure.
0: Okay, well, a lot lot of digging going on. Or,
2: hey, maybe maybe they just dig it.
0: All right, that that is a good. I like that. I like that. Now dig just so. It. <laughs> And just so people know, we're not talking about the hats with the cork that hangs off of the ones that the tourists get in Australia. We're talking about more like uh, the, the one with the brim turned up on one side.
2: So, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. like, uh, I, I guess there's actually, uh, or what is it, a drover's hat?
0: A drover uh, Yeah, I think it might be called a drover's hat because uh, it's for like cattle drives and stuff like that. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, what's a drover? I don't know what a driver is. What the fuck is a drover?
0: I I don't know. Maybe they conjugate differently on us. We drove.
2: We drove a lot of cattle out there today. Yeah, you're a real drover, mate. It could be. We drove them cattle. <laughs> I don't know.
0: No,
2: I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. know why he wears that. The World War II jacket. I think his dad gave him. Right. It's okay. like really from World War II. All
0: right. Oh, okay. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. So well, that's cool. It's kind of a sentimental thing. So, yeah, he's um, he's a he's a neat guy. Um. Yeah, uh, well, you've met him, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, But uh, he... Basically, I met him through a friend of mine, Melissa. Uh, She was doing an internship with him. And uh, hey, Melissa, if you're listening, but you're probably not, because you kind of dropped off the face of the earth after college. So, But that's okay, because you're not the first woman to ignore me. So anyway, I met Dr. Farrow, who lab she was working in, and uh, she, Doctor Farrow still is in contact with me now and again, probably because I'm the only person who will answer the phone at three a.m.
2: So but, your friend's a physicist, then?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she she was. I don't know what she's doing now. She could be working at a Barnes and Noble or something. But well,
2: I tell you, but then I'd have to kill you.
0: Well, that that could be awkward for the podcast. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll wait till we're
1: done. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> but right. anyway,
0: so Dr. Farrow says that you would be a good guest for the show. Um, he's got some unusual claims about you. Mm. Uh, yeah, for instance, he's...
2: Well, he wouldn't be the first, would he? <laughs> <I
0: guess not.
2: laughs> unusual maybe is better than what most claims people make are. <laughs> Well,
0: well, for example, he he's under the impression that you can turn into a coyote
2: or a fox. Uh, he didn't put that exactly correctly. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that cannot be done. Okay. I have seen shape-shifting before my eyes. Interesting. But uh, the way I learned it was not to actually turn into a coyote that would make you aware coyote right yeah, yeah uh but um you know it can be done for any animal really it's not limited to coyote it depends on what you want to study but geez i have to get into a whole thing about tracking here is that possible
0: well uh, so so your background is tracking or what it, what exactly is that
2: you know i'm not sure if that myself my background is pretty diverse. Mm. I kind of go where I'm, where the universe draws me. Mm. And at one time, I was drawn to uh, the Lipan Apache ways of tracking and survival. So I studied that with a, a guy in New Jersey, of course.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> There's okay. a lot of Apaches in New Jersey?
2: Uh, well, there's this one. All right. Uh, he's, uh, he, he's not genetically Apache, but I, I would say that he, he certainly keeps the culture alive. Very cool. And in in many um, American Indian communities, you know, they go by more how, how much you nurture and care caretake the culture. Mm-hmm than what your actual blood is. And the reason I say American Indian is because having worked extensively with the American Indians, and I'd ask them, what do you guys prefer to be called, Native American or Indian? They invariably said Indian because Mm. that identifies us culturally. As far as we're concerned, a Native American is anybody who's born here, which would include you. Right, right. So I'm going to use the politically incorrect American Indian knowing, uh, well, what their preference is, okay?
0: We look forward to your letters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, you can forward them. I'll uh, deal with them in my own inimical fashion. Uh, so anyway, one day our, our teacher was talking about concentric rings. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different ways to track. You know, you can you can be like a visual tracker and just look at footprints on the ground. You can be a sign tracker and look for uh, other kinds of indications that something has been in an area. Uh, but the way the, the, the lip in Apache taught it, really, it was a, a doorway into another dimension because it would be better described as awareness,
1: mm-hmm.
2: okay, where you're aware of everything.
1: Hmm.
2: And and you learn techniques to do this, but when you're aware of everything, you're looking at tracks on the grounds, you're listening to sounds in the forest, you're looking at disturbances, you're looking at things that aren't disturbed, and you learn the ways of it and you can apply it in the city just as well as you can uh, in, in the deepest untouched wilderness. And one thing you learn from this awareness is the concentric rings that emanate through uh, the environment. Hmm. Uh, for example, when something is disturbed, it provokes a reaction in the local fauna. Okay. And then the animals a little bit further out from that disturbance respond differently. And the animals a little bit out from that disturbance respond a little bit differently again. Okay? And so this emanates out like concentric rings on a pond.
1: Hmm.
2: All right? That's why it's on the cover of the book anyway, because I want to convey this concept of concentric rings and how it is embedded in the fabric of the universe, because you can... Take a, turn a telescope out to the cosmos and see exactly the same thing, except maybe it's an exploding star or a, or a black hole. You don't see those things, but you see effects of them, right? right? Electromagnetism, whatever it is, torsion. So when you learn to read these concentric rings, you can step yourself further and further and back from the nexus of the disturbance and say, okay, well, something happened 10 minutes away from here or something happened a day away from here
1: okay
2: you know and you like sometimes you're watching, watching these old westerns and some indian scout looks down touches the ground listens and says four men on horseback 3 days away All right well how does he know that right mm-hmm. it's like a it's, 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 you know you could say it's a magic power because to the untrained it seems that way but really anybody can learn how to do it and so Tom, Tom, our teacher, he mentioned something about these concentric rings one day, and I approached him with a question about it, and by God, to this day, I cannot remember what question I asked him. Hmm. But his response was, if you can duplicate the concentric rings of a fox, wouldn't you therefore be perceived as a fox? Hmm. And if you could reproduce the concentric rings of a coyote, Wouldn't you then be perceived as a coyote? Thus, you stand at the threshold of shape-shifting. So, like, if you go out bird-watching, and I I don't know if you're into bird-watching, but if you go out bird-watching, and all of a sudden you see these birds come, just come charging towards you from one direction, you know in about two minutes there's going to be a couple of hikers coming down the trail. Or, or joggers or something, right? So and then they'll tell you, why are you bird watching here? There's no birds around here. Well, they're all two minutes ahead of you, fella.
0: <laughs> Getting away from you.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you, you have so, this constant telegraph. So, yeah.
2: Right. So then uh, another predator, say, like a weasel,
1: mm-hmm.
2: will cause the birds to pop up into the trees and shrubs in kind of a popcorn, random fashion.
1: Oh.
2: All right. Uh, an aerial predator, will cause the birds to suddenly go quiet hmm. and, and in many cases they'll, they'll drop to the ground huh. because aerial predators won't dive through the trees ordinarily right there there's some birds that do that but that would be like a cooper's hawk okay okay so but it's led to a a difference between say the children of urbanity or urbanness and mm-hmm. the children of the earth Mm -hmm. And it's I guess it's caused a a clash of civilizations, you might say, to give an allusion to to Dr. Farrow there. Right. Uh, A clash of civilizations. I don't think he invented the term, but I learned it from him. So I'll I'll stick it. It Might have been Huntington who who invented that term. But Mm. yeah. So so there you go. So that's, you know, and inevitably, uh, in the course of history, though, when when these two kinds of civilizations collide, it's usually the urban culture that dominates and eventually supersedes the, the natural one, the the primitive one.
0: Well, I guess back on to the subject of, of Pharaoh, because you had talked about him talking about the clash of civilizations. Uh, and I guess that is that's uh, I don't know. Um, I, I An inadvertent segue? An inadvertent segue. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I always thought when I was in college, when I was younger, that maybe he just watched way too much Indiana Jones. Um, <laughs> and I thought he was just freaking nuts. But he, he talks about Nazis on the loose, like not like 90 year old men like shuffling along, but like right. not like Nazism persisted. That whole uh, mindset persisted. And he talks about like Nazis in control of like banks and like that that the Nazis actually won World War. II. Okay, have, have you have you've heard him talk about this at all?
2: Oh, certainly, right, certainly, right. very much. Uh, so uh, we had a whole adventure, the the two of us and some okay. others. Well, it included your friend Melissa, actually. Yeah.
0: Oh wow! Hey, how's she doing? Uh,
2: <laughs> I I can tell you she's doing fine. All right. cool. <laughs> <laughs>
0: tell her hi for me she's single <laughs> uh
2: no still married well I, I don't know if you knew her after she was married uh oh. but yeah she's uh, married to a guy named frank i think his name is okay
1: crazy
2: and they're uh they, they've made it they're, they're fairly wealthy individuals now
0: nice that's good uh
2: hear. got into bitcoin back in the day early wow. days oh. yeah way back Huh. Well, bit, bit, as far back as Bitcoin goes, yeah. So they, they got a nice windfall off of that. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah.
0: So so according to him, uh, and you might know about this, there's, there's this troop of Nazis in Las Vegas that are friends with Cher. And uh, I don't know. I guess that's kind of how he met up with you.
2: Well, maybe somebody was embellishing something huh. or... I mean, you know, they're active around there. There's a lot of uh, secret military bases out there where where a lot of covert stuff goes on. Okay. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is like super deep state shit, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where these post-war Nazis really have their foot in the door. He calls it the... Uh, post war internet the uh, post war Nazi international or Nazi international okay for short and uh, so like area 51 which i guess isn't far from las vegas would would be a place where they were they're active but their headquarters actually is in south america in san carlos de baraloche All
1: right. which
2: is in argentina it's got, got in this place that kind of resembles the alps and uh, i guess they liked it there and um, there's a a big house on a lake where people aren't allowed to visit, you know, and that supposedly that's where Hitler ended up and uh, Mm -hmm. ran a secret empire until his successor took over. And uh, a lot of this stuff now is coming out into the pop culture and uh, pseudo mainstream history. And I like to think that that is at least, Partially a result of the indefatigable work Dr. Farrow has done over the years in, in getting the story out to where it can't be ignored anymore. He's obviously not the only one. Peter Lavenda was down there uh, researching these guys also. Okay. So, uh, yeah. But apparently, what they've done is uh, they've they've groomed their descendants very carefully to carry on their mission. Those that had children and. So you find the descendants of people like Martin Bormann or Heydrich or, you know, uh, hideous uh, personages like that mm-hmm. a- actively involved in uh, maintaining this Nazi international.
0: Wow. Okay. Mm. Crazy. So they, they, it's, it's like this whole underground operation. It's essentially like a fourth Reich, I guess,
1: or.
2: Oh, it is exactly like that. Wow. And uh, in the book, I explain in some detail how they managed to do that and accomplish it from San Carlos de Bariloche. You know, it has to do a lot with compartmentalization, where they will farm out marketing projects or scientific research or political activism to different groups thinking they're doing one thing when really they're doing another. And this has always been the signature of Nazi secret research, where you bury it in other uh types of projects where it goes unrecognized okay you know uh for example the the f-35 is what like a hundred billion dollars over budget mm hmm. Well, well, I'm sorry, but that's not paying for one airplane. That is, those funds being allocated for that aircraft are going somewhere else. Oh. And I think that is a big red flag indicator of somewhere in our military industrial intelligence complex where some kind of project has been buried Okay, and, and being funded huh. covertly.
0: Interesting. So, so yeah. they just basically have all these secret, like... Charities or foundations and scientific yeah, yeah. research, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. And what facilitated that, at least uh, in in this part of the world, was uh, Project Paperclip.
0: Oh, right, where all where, the scientists came over from after
1: World War. Not Party. only
2: scientists, huh. but uh, other people with professional skills as well, and they were well placed in the bureaucracy to give them due credit for their knowledge or skill level. Uh, the most famous one, of course. Is a Werner von Braun, the huh. man who put us on the moon, right?
1: Right,
2: yeah. Yeah, I remember Tom Lair. Well, I don't remember, but I've heard <laughs> uh, a performance by Tom Lair, this hilarious song he does about Werner von Braun. And yes, but there are our Nazis, you know. Yeah, and 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 these people did not give up their ideology. There's no such thing as a former SS guy. So they would hire like-minded people and place them as well as they could and help them advance. And this went on and on in the worlds of finance and science and government. And, you know, until you had this large section of industry and finance and politics uh, run by well-groomed, you know, full-blown Nazis. And you'd never know it because they know they can't put portraits of Hitler in their living room. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because it just wouldn't fly. So what do they do? They put on the gray flannel suit and they live quiet lives and work through their positions and behind the scenes to make what happen what happens.
0: That's crazy. Um, that is exactly what he, uh, Pharaoh talked about that, I guess, around 2012 or so that there was uh, like a sort of a song and dance like variety show out in Vegas, uh, Four Corners of Education or something like that and they had a whole bunch of bands come on and he Oh, playing. okay. Have you yeah. heard, you've heard about this?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that actually was a, a a key event in the book because I was there when that happened. Okay, so crazier. this was uh, so so Pharaoh and I actually uh, shared that escapade, but what happened was the Nazis were running this secret Research facility in uh, way up in northern New Mexico, near near a town called Dulce, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's within the boundaries of I think the hickorya Apache Reservation, and it's all underground. I mean, if you went up there, you wouldn't see it. You see some like electronic equipment up on the top of the mesa, and that's about it. And nearby are like ventilation ducts and vents and things like that. They're they're hard to find. Uh, the shaman up there know where they are the scouts know where they are but they really don't mess with those people because they're really vicious Mm -hmm. the uh, uh who's that special team from the green berets delta force okay uh went in there and tried to clean the place up it was actually built with the auspices of the u.s government thinking they were building it for for us but it was actually for this breakaway section of 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 the nazi international breakaway from the US kind of parasitizing us by using our tax dollars to build this secret base for themselves Mm -hmm. there in the Mesa. Well, I think Delta Force went in there sometime in the late 70s and just got shot to pieces. And uh, what happened around 2012 is um, me uh, and my friend One Flair were up there Having an adventure and uh, made friends with a couple of Indian girls. Uh, one was a Navajo, one was an Apache. Uh, mm-hmm. Mary and Carrie and uh, I don't want to say what their family names were. No, uh, you don't have to do that. Uh, no, okay. But uh, they were they were up there. And first, I got to tell you that that one Flair and I hooked up with our. I don't want to say exactly handler. He's kind of an employer, let's say. Okay. And. We we went up there, he had a connection on the res, this really interesting guy named Daryl. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll leave it at that. But he was a former army ranger. When he was twelve years old, his his grandfather took him out for a horseback ride into the desert and said, Okay, grandson, get down from your horse. And then his grandfather said, Wait here for me, I'll be back. The kid's twelve years old. Jeez. Grandfather goes away with the horse. Wow. Comes back one year later to the day. Oh, my God. Says, happy birthday, grandson. Today you are a man.
0: Wow. I guess that toughens you up real quick.
2: Yeah. And, that, <laughs> and being the Army Ranger, you're pretty much ready for anything you have to deal with in life. Wow. So this guy was from the Hickory Reservation. He was a professional colleague of our uh, employer. Mm-hmm. So he made the connection up there we went up to see him and they said well look uh, you know these guys are from your world we don't really screw with them that that's an evil on a scale uh, we've never even imagined before mm. but if the ancestors say that it's okay for you to go up there, then, then we'll allow it. We had to go through this sweat lodge, uh, purifying ceremony. It was a very powerful ceremony. And when that whole thing was over is when we first met Carrie and Mary. And, um, it was purely a friendly thing at first. I mean, you're all burnt out and cooked like a lobster after the sweat lodge. You you, (laughs) you don't really uh, feel like doing anything, but, um, and then, uh, you know, from there, the, the, the relationship just developed. But, cool. uh, in any case, uh, when we talked about what we, we went up the mountain and now one flare I, I would say is, is a much better tracker than I am.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. But kind of like the, the skill I gravitated towards was, was plants. Hmm.
1: Okay.
2: So when we went up this, this mountain to where we saw in our vision that this this place was. There was this really odd, out-of-place patch of poison ivy, okay. really thick poison ivy of a Western variety. And I said, well, that looks really strange. That doesn't belong up here. You know, uh, you certainly wouldn't have birds dropping the seeds uh, up here like that. You know, there's, there's no place for the birds to land or anything. And... By chance, I'm immune to poison ivy. Hmm. so I am not. <laughs> I poked... <laughs> well, if you get some in your garden, I'll be happy to pull it up.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
2: Uh, I don't think it's much of a problem in your area. But, uh... No, no,
0: it's not.
2: But anyway, so I poked my head through this poison ivy, and we saw this big ventilation shaft opening. And we uh, went down in there. We saw inside the secret base, came back out. And reported this at a gathering uh, where yeah. Mary and Carrie were along with uh, some of their friends. And um, I guess we went out and sat around this fire and talked about it with the, the elders, the Apache elders and stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, then Mary got this, uh, this just ingenious idea of how to clear that place out. And she went up to the top of this mountain, sat there for days on end, just watching this poison ivy. Sometimes we'd bring, like, food and drinks up for her. Mm -hmm. And she sat up there just meditating on this poison ivy, and she would notice that it moved in different ways. Sometimes the leaves would blow out towards her. Sometimes the leaves would kind of get sucked in away from her. And she realized that what they were doing was sucking in or blowing out air from this facility through that ventilation shaft. So when they needed fresh air, they would suck it in and when they wanted to dump uh, stale air or had fumes inside, they would blow it out, right?
1: Yeah.
2: So what we did, we all went up there and we set fire to the poison ivy and all the poison ivy fumes got sucked Aww. into the secret base and <laughs> gave 300 Germans a bad case of Bad case of rash, yeah, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, because, you know, what happens is when you get it into your lungs like mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's delivered everywhere in your body. That's oh. an emergency situation. They were yeah. taken out by ambulances and helicopters to uh, hospitals like in Albuquerque and yeah. uh, some other big towns around there. That's crazy. So, yeah, Santa Fe, places like that. And uh, caused quite a stir. Well. Clearly, you know, that was during like a, a daytime when a lot of people were at work. But you always have like a skeleton cruise at night and this sort of thing or security yeah. staff and stuff like that. So then Daryl, this ex-army ranger, he gets together his friends and they just go in there gun blazing and take out the rest of the Nazis and blow the place up and pull out documents and stuff. And uh, it was pretty cool. Jeez
0: that's craziness oh my god yeah (laughs) so yeah um i had heard about mary and carrie um that the the uh, young women that you were talking about they um i guess in in a punk band kind of like blackfire
1: Um,
2: uh yeah yeah yeah. actually i don't know if you've ever heard blackfire but they're a pretty cool navajo punk band they got some cool tunes and uh Carrie and Barry were in that. I remember being out on the res and occasionally see flyers go up like at a community center or in uh, window rock someplace like that. It says like uh, concert this weekend, all resed out bands, you nice. know, and they would, they would play a lot of these shows and occasionally get like alternative gigs in, uh, un- local colleges and universities and stuff. And, uh, so, so they were in one of these bands and, yeah. um, but uh, Mary had to go on hiatus for a while after the stunt with the Poison Ivy.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: she, she knew better than to show her face in public after that. Sure. And um, she was actually lured out of hiding by one of these foundations you mentioned earlier. Right. You know? Okay. The Nazis. Uh, that, yeah. yeah, right. That seemed uh, they couldn't find her. And, you know, you can't have a bunch of Nazis walking around an Indian reservation. Uh, and yeah, they'd
0: stick uh, out a little
2: bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> So. and uh, if you just say hey i'm looking for this girl named mary and they're gonna look at you funny you need a reason for being there
1: mm-hmm.
2: she had a distinctive look because of the punk thing sure uh she had she dyed blue streaks into her hair
0: okay
2: cool all right and uh one of the security guards who who came out of the the air shaft uh to, to put the fire out he had somehow gotten a, a respirator on in time and was unaffected he had spotted her mm-hmm. and as a well look for a girl with you know blue streaks in her hair but they couldn't find her so they put together this foundation meant to benefit like uh, education for uh, American Indians or something in the four corners area and yeah I think they called it something like the four corners of education or something yeah, like that yeah. so they held this benefit concert and invited a bunch of local bands and uh, her friends talked her into Coming out of the hills and reforming, so they could they could play the show because it was for a quote unquote good cause, mm. and they kidnapped her ass right out of the hotel where there the show is. was. Yeah, and and her friend because a, a big fight ensued. You know, uh, I mean this in the most admirable and respectful way possible. You don't mess with a Navajo girl. Right. She is going to kick your ass like a (laughs) wildcat. Okay. So I think like four guys went into her room and she held them off for a minute or two. And then Carrie came bursting in. The two of them let loose on these guys. And finally, two more people came into the room and they managed to subdue the girls and cart them off to their secret lair. Uh, That was part of this whole adventure with Pharaoh. (laughs) The the next adventure was to rescue the girls.
0: Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. And so
2: you were able to do that then, right? Well, that's kind of an interesting question, you know. Um. Oh. I think this is a good place to bring out uh, the hidden narrative of the book.
0: Okay, sure.
2: All right? Now, if you look online, you'll notice that on my book cover,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you see the concentric rings coming off the pyramid. Yeah. Right? And they're fighting within the... The, the water there that surrounds the pyramid, and there's another recent book online called "Song of the Immortal Beloved" mm-hmm. that mirrors the concentric rings on the the, the Giza Death Star restored. Okay, Interesting. Yeah. by another author uh, named Eric P. Antony, Okay, let's let's say that's not a pseudonym. Right, right. <laughs> it's not me. Okay, just to, just to make the point, yeah, it's yeah, not it's yeah. it's not me. Okay, it's another author right but there's a reason those books are linked hmm. and that is because there is a secret narrative in the Giza Death Star restored okay and while on the surface it is a story about how Giuseppe Ferro led a group of people to foil the plan of this Nazi international very disastrous and catastrophic plans for the earth mind you had they been successful it's a story about how he foiled that. Hmm. But hidden in that narrative is the story of Thorny and One alchemical initiation. And Pharaoh is presented as a symbol for the father with the capital F.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Greaves, who is the employer in the book, a fictitious name in this case, yeah. symbolizes. The Lucifer element, the dark aspect of the Father or the being. And the reason Pharaoh is not in the sweat lodge with us is because the Father is already pure in heaven.
1: Mm.
2: Lucifer is in the sweat lodge with us because Lucifer, through the alchemical transformation, also becomes transformed into the Logos. And in the way one flare and I were trained, the coyote is the embodiment of Lucifer and the Logos hmm. in a single being. And the reason that these initiations are so hard to undertake is because. Our souls that drive that initiation are hogtied by our delusions. Mm. And I don't want to say as modern people because they are as old as humans themselves. And that's why, you know, Mary and Carrie are captured and tormented like that and why they have to be rescued. Yeah, you have a, a, a tough Navajo and a tough Apache girl in the midst of the story, but they're also playing another role. And that is to symbolize the soul Mm. of, of the initiate who needs to be rescued and freed for the initiation to be accomplished.
1: Yeah.
2: This is why I think, you know, the, the images are so compelling because on another level they speak, it's, it's mythology writ large in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I guess we should return to the story. Oh yeah. Uh, Now, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's okay. You know, these fun tangents, I think, are productive.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and
2: interesting. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, they have to uh, go back to the secret lair yeah. uh, that was just destroyed. I don't have to get into the details of how they figure that out. But um, they go back to the secret lair where Carrie and Mary are being held.
0: Right.
2: And essentially, to get the girls out. One Flair and I, we, we have to become invisible. That's something else we learned uh, at the place where we learned shifting. There's different ways you can do that. I mean, if your enemy doesn't know you're there and something gets done, you are essentially invisible as mm-hmm. far as they're concerned, right? But this relates again to the alchemical journal where the initiate has to disguise himself or be invisible yeah. to his own demons in order to... Rescue his soul. Put another way, save his soul. It's not some guy outside who saves you, right? Mm -hmm. Except perhaps metaphorically in that they demonstrate it, right? You can say that Jesus's life is a demonstration of how to do that, right? So in order to save their souls, they have to become invisible. Mm -hmm. And who's there protecting them? The Father and and the Logos. Now, Lucifer transformed zoom in as their guardians and and they do and then after that there's a tremendous difference in the relationship that takes place between boys and the girls at that point and it, the, the relationship really deepens and you know at the end of the book there there's well i guess i shouldn't give that away yeah but, don't,
0: don't give away your ending okay <laughs> We're but just wearing it, the it's, appetite,
2: right? It's part of the uh, alchemical process. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eric in his book describes it very scientifically in alchemical terms. In in Giza Death Star restored, it's very uh, symbolic. But yeah, that's why there's no gratuitous sex scenes in the book. Is because the alchemical work had not yet been accomplished Mm. there. There's a constructiveness to the way that relationship develops.
0: Yeah. It has to deepen. It has to, uh,
2: right. Yeah. That makes sense. the same way it does between you and your spiritual life as you go through that work.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So you can't just uh, go through the motions of having spiritual development, say like, I'm so awakened. And it's like, well, are you though? Have you actually been through the trials and the tribulations to, become <laughs> or, or did you just like go to like one meditation class and you're like look at me
2: right so, yeah
0: right but uh, well, well
2: one thing that i thought was interesting in that you know that 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 physical play out of the mm-hmm. whole al- alchemical drama was i discovered that the, the the chief actor for these Nazi internationals in at least in this sphere of influence is you know this guy named Mueller.
0: Okay. Crazy.
2: E- Mueller. Reinhardt Mueller. You don't get much more Nazi sounding name than that.
0: Yeah, it's a very German name.
2: Right. <laughs> uh, but I found out his birthday was the same as mine. Oh wow. And so I thought, gosh, doesn't that make it that much more a compelling journey?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: You know, because the adversaries are mirrored mm-hmm. exactly as it would be in the alchemical work, yeah. and the sweat lodge then symbolizes the perfect blending of fire and water to achieve the transformation.
0: I guess one of the questions that I have um, after hearing about all your adventures and stuff like that is, I, what what are the Nazis doing? Uh, other than like they they have their charities they have these things what were they doing in Las Vegas I I mean do they have like a secret base in the well, volcano at the Mirage it's
2: <laughs> actually Farrow used to work there he was a, a floor manager at at the Luxor and there was a, a guy there named Provenzano okay. uh, who was the the, the head manager the, the the chief of the whole operation. And you think with a name like Provenzano, he's probably a mob guy, right? The the name is perfect for his job. So he gets all this dirt on people because people yes. are afraid of him, thinking he's this hard mobster. But he's actually one of the good guys. Yeah. And uh, what we found out really is that there are factions to this breakaway civilization. OK, the Nazi international is one of the biggest and most powerful factions. The communists are another faction okay. and uh, the mafia is another faction. And Las Vegas really is kind of their turf. So even though they worked together with the Nazis to achieve common goals, there's actually a very sharp rivalry there. Mm. But this guy Provenzano, uh, he had a lot of good contacts and he was actually able to, now you probably don't know this because you said your your friend Melissa doesn't talk to you anymore, but this is how I got yeah. involved with her, was she and her husband were continuing experiments that they had learned under Faro at SDSU. Okay. And I'm talking about high physics, far out universe, cracking, breaking physics.
0: That sounds like her.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They had uh, taken some stuff that Tesla had done. All
1: right.
2: That has to do with electromagnetic magnification
1: Hmm.
2: and resonance and opening portals, like flash portals just to get measurements and things like this. Well, they conducted one of these experiments, and it was too big. It's like the whole state of Nevada went dark for a second. And I'm talking about broad daylight. It's dark outside because they created some kind of a giant plasma arc that created an, an electrogravitic phenomenon that was so powerful it sucked in all the available light that was nearby.
1: Jeez!
2: <laughs> like even even photons were getting sucked in. Yeah. And they they were terrified because they known they'd done something bad at that point and uh, in a, completely inadvertently, of course. But they went out to where they had this thing set up, and uh, they found this bottomless hole. They even threw things down there like refrigerators,
1: <laughs>
2: uh, old cars. I mean, you know, yeah. like big heavy, and would could never hear it hit bottom.
0: It just keeps going.
2: It just keeps going. Wow. And so naturally, this, this this military group came out there and took over and gave them a choice to either take a lot of money and live happily ever after somewhere else or mm. jail for the rest of their lives on trumped up drug charges. This, this military group took over the whole and Pharaoh and Melissa and her husband, they wanted to find out like, what why, what's going on there? Why did they do that? Why did we lose our property? And Pharaoh couldn't really do it himself. I mean, he was already getting up in years by that time. Mm -hmm. and didn't have the energies for it but he knew uh our employer in the in the book called greaves kelvin greaves okay and he's got like these philanthropic commando teams that he he maintains right he works off of grants and contributions and stuff Mm
0: -hmm. so they're like the a-team kind of or
2: yeah it's kind of like the a-team they call them kelly's heroes because his Elvin. Okay. Kind of a joke reference to the movie uh, Kelly's Heroes Heroes with Clint Eastwood and Don Rickles. Anyway, uh, yeah, Kelly's Heroes. He basically would send two guys at a time out to this hole to observe what was going on. And what we figured out over time, not just us, but other pairs of guys who are out there was that this really was not regular military. This was like a paramilitary group disguised as Regular military. and I think Faro made the connection with the Nazi internationals at that point because that was right out of Scorzani's playbook mm. at the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah. The reason that German maneuver was so successful, at least at first, was you had a whole division of Germans dressed in American uniforms driving American vehicles and German vehicles painted to look American. Yeah. Caused all kind of havoc. And so you had, you had this event and I, um, and in the backstory to this whole adventure with Pharaoh, there was a theft of uh, ancient artifacts at the Baghdad museum at the start of the second Gulf war. Yeah. And that also involved mercenaries disguised as, or some military group disguised as, american soldiers and so that's mm. probably uh connected with Scorzani and his paladin uh mercenaries as well that's what was the name of his company he had an actual legal company
0: yeah.
2: called paladin that did quote unquote security work
0: so otto Scorzani was basically like, like it's like reverse of inglorious bastards
2: yeah much. right yeah. yeah so that's exactly. what he was
0: kind of running
2: uh-huh so, cool. and um where where were we in this sordid tale? So we were talking uh,
0: about we were talking about uh, the Luxor and uh, y- your friend who's Yeah, there.
2: right, right. And so really it's the mafia that runs Vegas yeah. and this guy named Provenzana was able to get a lot of useful information. And <clears throat> what happened was because of this big windfall from the bitcoins, mm-hmm. um, and because Pharaoh was there, he knew some secret hand symbol that like kind of got them more money. And when they transferred that to their financial advisor, that's when this guy made the big Bitcoin purchase. Bitcoin was like less than a penny back yeah. then, right? Yeah. And like in a couple of years, it had netted them, you know, like uh, millions and millions of dollars. Nice. Your friend Melissa and her husband were able to uh, fully fund and equip an operation that could effectively oppose the Nazi international,
1: nice.
2: uh, at, at least short term, and was very successful. So they had like set up a training base and everything. And, uh, one flare and I were there, Carrie and Mary were there. Daryl was like in charge of a lot of the training. Cause he had the background. Um, but, uh, we started noticing these creepy flyovers, like somebody observing what we were up to. You know, it wasn't just like some guy in a private plane flying from Vegas back to LA or something, you know, okay, it was like, yeah. uh, kind of weird grid flights and stuff. So Pharaoh got the idea that something was going to happen. And we went back to uh, the Luxor, talked to uh, Provenzano, and he hooked us up with some real-life mafia guys who uh, provided some hired guns for us. And you know, when they found out that it was like Nazis involved, they were like – they saw Pharaoh's jacket from World War II, and they all had family that went through the war and fought yeah. the Nazis. Um, they were like all – gung-ho to get out there and shoot some nazis yeah yeah. and they they tipped the scales just enough for us to survive that attack yeah they, they came in on like six helicopters oh. and fast roped in down into the desert charged and if you know dr Farrell, you know this yeah. this quiet guy in his study with the glasses you know and he's got the nerdy secretary and oh
0: george ann yeah
2: george ann right yeah, george ann
0: cool. i like her she, yeah
2: she's very nerdy but there's something it's a coiled cat inside of her right you know <laughs> yeah I, uh there's I this, her. Just, yeah there's just like an energy in there waiting to come out she's just not the school mom she appears on the surface mm. and um these guys i guess were were there's this gun battle blazing all around us and this this pharaoh comes out in the back of this Land Rover like something out of uh, Rat Patrol, right? right? Did, you ever, did you ever see that show? Oh, well, hell was, yeah. So, well, anyway, yeah. Pharaoh was standing up in the back of this Land Rover as it's bouncing over the rocks in the desert, firing this fifty caliber machine gun at these right. helicopters, and they're blowing right. up the clouded dust, and you're wondering, my God, how can that old man handle that, right? Yeah. But there he was, just he was passionate about his mission, you know, and uh, I think it's been. I think it's something he's been waiting to do for a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you talked a, a little bit about um, ancient artifacts being stolen from Baghdad, and then I, I feel like I see this kind of connection with this hole opening up in the desert. Was there something in the hole that maybe the Nazis were into, or?
2: Well, I don't think they knew that at the time. I don't think anybody knew that at the time, but it was uh, it resulted from the very kind of physics that they're interested in. Huh? You know, these torsion field, electrogravitic theory physics uh, that there's there's very sound empirical evidence to support. You know, there are guys like. De Palma and Cozy Rev and sure. Laviolette—I Viol- La mean, they're—they're they're all competent scientists doing work in this field. Um, they just don't get talked about. There's probably some reason for that. We could say, huh. but uh, that—that's the kind of thing they were interested in, and they wanted—they wanted to own that action. So they sent a team up there. Now their chief guy Richter. Richter, Who's like, okay. I I think the, the, the current Richter is like the grandson of the original Richter from World War II, uh, okay? But he, he was 50 years ahead of his time. He was kind of like Tesla was yeah. uh, in that regard. And uh, in fact, the the U.S. Air Force sent guys down to South America to talk to Richter at the time in the 1950s. And they came back and said, the guy's mad, but he is a genius, you yeah. know? That's how it works sometimes. Uh, yeah and um he is the one who surmised that some artifact they needed for their death star device A death star now you yeah yeah the, well it's called the Giza death star because you know pharaoh coined the term in okay. his books yeah uh, I, I know he's talked about
0: that i'm not sure that the listeners know about the giza death star yet though
2: oh so. my god we've been wasting their time I know. <laughs> There they are. What the hell is this Death Star thing? For <laughs> Christ's sake! So the, now, it, this is not a Death
0: Star in space, like in Star Wars. But no, yeah, this is a no. Subject. But I
2: think I, I think he coined the term from that movie he because did. it's yeah, it, it's similar in power and technology. But he has surmised through his research that the uh, the main pyramid in Egypt and p- perhaps all of them were linked together. Comprised a a machine of some kind. Now, Christopher Dunn had put forth this hypothesis mm-hmm. uh, maybe a, a couple, few years before Pharaoh did. But but he had said it was really like a power plant. You could get power from it. And it helped people and things like this. It was it was Pharaoh who really first deduced that it was an ominous and terrifying planet-busting weapon. So so the pyramid used to be a weapon. Yeah, what and saying. what the hypothesis states is that it was a gigantic resonance chamber.
1: Oh, crazy.
2: Okay, a harmonic resonator that you could tune to the body you wanted to destroy, and then faster than the speed of light, you could discharge energy in the form of, say, a maser or a grazer, uh-huh. which would be like a laser except of more high-energy microwave or uh, gamma-wave wa- gamma, gamma radiation, yeah. right?
1: Yeah.
2: And just blow it to smithereens. So it turns knows Earth into that. a Death Star. It turns Earth into a Death Star, or it could be a Death Star itself and even destroy the planet it's sitting on. Wow. And basically what the Nazis wanted to do is kind of like tune it down so they could cause devastating earthquakes and basically hold the world hostage.
0: So all the artifacts that they stole from Baghdad when they were dressed up as Americans and that they, they stole from this hole, uh, are those part of making this Death Star work?
2: Uh, I don't know if all of them were, but some of them were key. For example, the Helmholtz resonators uh, turned up in the Baghdad museum and they're like giant balls that help you tune the, the resonance of the, uh, uh, harmonic chamber. Okay. And then, uh, there were scrolls, which with descriptions of the ancient technology, if you could, uh, decode them. Um, I think there were like some kind of stones or gems or something that were used, Mm -hmm. but, uh, because Richter had developed the uh, Nazi bell technology to such a degree he could actually manufacture things that he needed right out of the ether just by tuning the the bell to the proper uh, torsions and resonances okay. you know just pull right out of the universe because we what a, lot, what a lot of people think is that we live in a physical universe that's you know limited in size and mass and matter and gravity sure. and so forth and it has a finite beginning at the big bang and that that's all that's not true
0: so this is the same bell from like brotherhood of the bell right where yes
2: where it's so the, it's
0: pretty much like it, in star trek where you're just like i would like a hamburger except like on a much bigger scale it, it's, yes it's like a generator or yeah
2: um, yeah okay so i don't know if they can make a hamburger out of it because you're then you're getting into like uh it's a very codes, fine yeah. chemistry there. Yeah. Too many <laughs> components, <laughs> yeah. but they had it to where like they could form crystals and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, which is a limited number of organized molecules. Um, right. and, uh, and, and they set all these things up and, and they had, uh, this is what's really crazy. When I when I wrote the book, I didn't I, I didn't know about this, but the Nazis had found uh, some way to manufacture like artificial stone. Okay. So like if you have a granite block, they had like a granite mix, let's mm-hmm. say, and you could mix this shit with water, benzene, or whatever the hell they use for it. I don't remember the exact recipe now, but they had like these premixes for this synthetic stone, and when it hardened, it was indistinguishable. From the real thing. And if you had the right kind of sample, you could produce this mix and use it to patch rock. That was indistinct. You would never know the rock was broken, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of damage had been done to the pyramid over the millennia. And so they went in and got their samples. And this is all under the... Uh, guys of you know academic research, Egyptology, you know, oh, we're gonna you know bring in lots of tourists and help solve (laughs) these mysteries of the pyramids. And you know, the whole thing was a sham, they were trying to recreate the Giza Death Star. And again, that's how they hide their secret project within a legitimate project,
0: yeah. Because I I can't see like a wasp coming and saying, like Yeah, fire off a few shots, it's let's blow up Jupiter, that'd be rad, right? It's yeah.
2: that's crazy. So. so, so, so they went in and they, they basically fixed the whole thing. They even scoured, uh, Cairo and the surroundings for the original casing stones, as many as they could get their hands oh, on.
0: So the, that some of them
2: are, are buildings. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then they recreated the rest, you know, and, uh, put the thing back together so that it worked. And, That was why, you know, this Bitcoin windfall Mm -hmm. was so critical and came in such a timely fashion.
1: Nice,
2: nice. Like the cavalry arriving, if you will, right?
1: Oh,
2: for sure. Uh, So because it it, it had gotten to the point where they were so close to that completing that Death Star that somebody had to stop them. And the whole world, of course, believed the official story. No, we're just reconstructing it for the tourists so they yeah. can see what it's like in its original state, blah, 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 yeah. and um, raced in. But boy, was the official story given a shake, literally, when those earthquakes happened off Indonesia.
0: So, so the Death Star was making the earthquakes, the pyramids. Essentially. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
2: well, you know, you can read the book, and then you can get online and check the dates of major earthquakes. Yeah, yeah. And those two earthquakes, you know, they they really did happen off the coast of Indonesia. There's an island, I can't remember the name of it now. I haven't read the book in uh, several months, but right, right. Uh, uh, you know, when, after you write it down, it's hard to remember every detail. You but probably yeah, there's get an eye looking at it after a while. <laughs> uh, the artwork is so good, I have to pick it up and look at it occasionally. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs> Aren't you fortunate to have found such an artist?
2: <laughs> yes, I am. So, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, so, yeah, so, so, those, you know, those were real earthquakes. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's not some fanciful thing it's just mm-hmm. thrown in there, and um. Uh, what, what's interesting though, is that for a rare moment, uh, you know, the major powers of the world were able to unite Mm. against this international threat and, uh, Pharaoh and his mad capped adventurers, Had the good sense to get the heck out of Dodge hmm. and let this international team of of troops from various countries take credit for the whole operation, you know.
1: Right, right. You
2: don't want to get left standing, the holding the bag when the world almost explodes. Yeah, that's um, problematic. This guy, I mean, you know, this this guy. Well, you know, Pharaoh never ceases to amaze me with what he knows and who mm-hmm. he knows and uh, things like this. But grieves also, man. I've I've known that guy for uh, more than 20 years now, and he never ceases to amaze me either. I mean, when, when, when we hightailed it off the Giza Plateau and went back to the Cairo airport, he had a, a C 130 already turning its motors, waiting for us wow. for the flight back to the States. <laughs> who do you know who can do this? Yeah. You know? But uh, he somehow I you know, I don't know what it is, but yeah, he he got that ready.
0: I guess almost blowing up the world would make it difficult, at least in the, the academic society, to get funding for your next project and stuff like that. So
2: not for Pharaoh though. He's yeah. got a lot of those <laughs> things going on. Um, yeah. while on the one hand he is very cautious and suspicious of a lot of this research because it could easily fall into the wrong hands, as the story at hand demonstrates. Mm-hmm. Um, he also knows therein lies great potential for mankind, right? Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. He, he's
2: very careful about who he takes funding from for that research. Uh, he brings a lot of money into that university because of that, and a lot of it's very quietly done. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of it comes in from like private individuals who don't have the skill set or the knowledge base, uh, like let's say like a SpaceX thing or... Right. Uh, who's the guy who owns Skinwalker Ranch now? Bigelow, oh,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: right, like guys like that maybe <clears throat> would 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 need him to do something, but you know also or agencies like DARPA, mm-hmm. who you often hear him criticize, but you know uh, he also knows that there's good work going on inside mm-hmm. there.
0: Yeah, well, they, you need criticism. I think that's what sometimes happens in the scientific community is someone gets scared to criticize
2: a certain theory or a certain... I think those criticisms are more social and political. Uh, but yeah. At the same time, uh, when you have mad dictators trying to control the world, you also need something like that on your own side. Yeah. To stay ahead of that. Yeah, true. You know? Yeah. You know, look at, look, look at the Nazis, you know, they, they were in first place in the science race during world war two, mm-hmm. but the U S also had the resources and the mind power to yeah. go head to head with them. Yep.
1: that's true. You know,
2: it's and, true. and England didn't do a bad job either. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, uh, that, that, it's unfortunate that we have to live with that.
1: That's
0: mm-hmm. how it pans out sometimes, but, uh, mm. You have a feeling that it's it's maybe getting a little better. That uh, there's people clearing the way, like Pharaoh and different people like that. Or
2: yeah, it seems uh, like I don't know. Like uh, maybe well, it's never going to be perfect. There's there's no. always going to be evil, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. But
2: um, in terms of the balance of power, I don't know. I think maybe the bad guys peaked maybe a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And the tide is starting to turn now, but it's, Pharaoh still thinks it's going to get worse before it gets better, but he's sure it will get better.
0: Well, that's, that's good. That's at least hopeful. Yeah.
2: I I think it's turned around already, but it's Mm. going to be a long, hard slog. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As far as uh, you, Thorny, are concerned, are there any adventures coming up for you in the near future? Anything, projects that you're working on right now? I know you have the book. But...
2: Uh, hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> well, as far as these uh, wild swashbuckling adventures are concerned, I don't know what I'm up for anymore at this point in my life. But on a on a more uh, relaxed uh, or let us say sedentary level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to see like a graphic novel version of the book come out. Yeah. Gosh, do you know anybody who could help with that?
0: <laughs> I think I might. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say that, um, when I read your book and wanted to have uh, you as a guest on the show uh, because of it, there were so many scenes that like I saw in my head that I was just like, wow, this would be like, so mind blowing for people. Um, it would be something so different in, in comic or film, something so
2: unique <laughs> to those genres. Well, it's yeah. it's interesting you 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 would say that, and I'm very glad that you did, because yeah. no one else has really put it that way. They've just said, this would make a great movie. But when I was writing it, that's exactly how I saw it. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to do a book
1: mm-hmm.
2: about this, but the universe, let's say to be secular about it, the universe was demanding it from me. Yeah. And the story kind of wrote itself. I just had to listen Yeah. how to put it down, you know, because when you, and then when you've been through something like that, you want to get all the little juicy details in there. It's like, no, no, leave those details out. Let people use their minds mm-hmm. to fill in the details. And at times it looked like panels in a comic strip to me.
1: Yeah.
2: And at times it looked like movie scenes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know how like and in, in in a comic book when they have those funny angles, you you can hardly ever get with a real camera. Oh yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and I I was seeing things like that.
1: Cool.
2: You know, yeah. all colored in, and other time you know sometimes you see. Somebody's like big facial expression in the scene behind me, you know, or mm-hmm. the, their eyes are wide or something, you know, or like that. And then other times I, I saw like the whole scene uh, played out before me, like as if it was on a film or a movie screen Yeah. and, and, and then just wrote that. And that's why the book, I think, is mostly dialogue, because everybody's going to come at this with their own angle. Mm hmm. And as they go through that dialogue and the story, they can fill in the bits that make it meaningful to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, and That's what it's about is you have to make it personal and relatable to your audience, you know?
2: Right. So, that, that's the big debate. Eric, Eric and I always had about alchemy.
0: Eric is the uh, author of Song of the uh, Immortal. Uh, right. Yeah.
2: Immortal Beloved. Yeah. And what um, great artwork on that cover too, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, he laid everything out in meticulous detail mm-hmm. for people, mm-hmm. right? What he went through and how to do it and things like this. And uh, it's kind of a friendly, uh, I, I would say, friendly dispute that we have where we we laugh at each other and ourselves. And I say, dude, you can't write a book about alchemy, man. There's There's nothing to write. You just do it. <laughs> you know? And so I think that's why his book ended up the way his did and the way, the reason my book ended up the way mine did because the the to, to me, the story is better than the, 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 detailed process.
1: Yeah.
2: I even had a Taoist guy in China tell me that, you know, I went up to the mountain to talk to the master and everything. Wudong mountain. Remember did you ever see crouching tiger, hidden dragon.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Zhang Ziyi. Ooh. Uh, so uh I, I went to that place and uh, talked to a, a guy up there and uh, we're going through this long talk you know and it's it's one of these spiritual conversations. He doesn't speak your language, you don't speak his the translator doesn't know all the vocabulary because it's so far out but there's there's this swirling energy yeah you know, running through your minds that unites all the concepts and you grasp them on another level beyond words, right? It was mm-hmm. one of these kind of conversations that I remember him saying at some point, go pee, go pee, which basically in Chinese means it's all bullshit. Ah. Right?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Go, go pee literally means dog shit. They don't, that's, that's how they say it there. Just in case there's any Chinese speakers who want to nitpick on the <laughs> podcast later. Yeah. But, He said, it's all bullshit. You'll come to the Tao in your own way, whatever it is, man. You know, it might be Taoist alchemy. It might be Western alchemy, might be Kung Fu. You you don't know what it is, man. Just go out and do it. If you have, if you listen carefully and you you walk your path, you'll get there, you know? So, uh, you know, the whole, the whole point being is uh, you can't nail it down to this or that. What what Eric did actually very well was capture the universal concepts that's common to all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the, the, the principles involved the, the, the blueprint or the framework. But uh, I didn't, I, I didn't want to go that route. I wanted to give people a compelling story to see how it's lived out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But they, they'd be good
0: companion pieces. If, if people like what we've been talking about today, uh, these events, I mean, Thorny has written a book where he, he details these events so that you can follow along and learn more about it. And if you also want to pick up the song of the Immortal Beloved, that explains those alchemical concepts so that you it, it'll give you sort of a deeper understanding. It's not that you can't enjoy right. both on their own, but when you have them both together, it kind of gives you this nuanced understanding of the world and where these characters exist and where they're coming from.
2: And so. and don't forget to pick up a copy of China Weird: Ten Thousand Years of Strangeness while you're at it. You should, uh, since since you asked me to shamelessly self promote. So, <laughs>
1: yes, yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: but but you yeah. notice I did leave plenty of room for a sequel.
0: That's right. So <clears throat> you guys uh, definitely want to check out this book, so because you want to uh, be down with the storyline before uh, the sequel comes out, obviously, and then. Uh, any film or graphic novel projects that are in the works, you want to be sort of uh, versed in the story so you're in the know.
2: The reason you want to read the book first is because yeah. when, when the artist creates those scenes in the graphic version, you think, oh, yeah, that is so that, you know, that is so her, that is so him. Yeah. That is exactly how I envisioned. Oh, I didn't see it that way. I saw it this way. And it, there's a whole new dimension of interest. Mm-hmm. To going through the story at that point, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, cause so you, you might disagree with how I draw Mary or something like. It. Well, probably not you, because you're going to be telling me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you might have saw her in your head uh, as the reader is a totally different way, and it's just like, oh, okay.
2: But well, I'm not, not going to tell the shoot. I'm not going to tell the chef how to make her soup, but <laughs> I-, I will tell you what flavors I like. Right, right. So. <clears throat> so.
0: It's not going to jive with everybody, but the people who get it are going to be like, wow, somebody else has these thoughts. And It's going to
2: be like Big Trouble and Little China. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly.
2: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, crap, I was going to say. Well, you know, this is a day and age when you don't need the gatekeepers anymore. No,
0: no, you don't. We age. don't
2: need the stinking gatekeepers. That's right.
0: <laughs> not anymore. Yeah, because – right. uh, the audience actually chooses what they want to support and what they want to, you know, throw, throw their, uh, attentions and support behind and, uh, you support twice in that sentence. So that's good. But, um, yeah. And, and, um, I think that the, the audience who gets it and hopefully you guys listening are among that audience or you'd want to give it a chance. I think you should definitely check this book out. Um, I've read it a couple times before we did this interview, so it's, it's definitely compelling um and it's it's not like anything else you're gonna pick up
2: really thanks y'all for tuning in and thank you nap i had a great time and uh hope we can do this again sometime
0: okay take care thank you you too all right Um, bye bye
2: bye something that won't, uh, come up in the, in, in the book interview is the time my friends and I, uh, dropped three hits of acid and climbed to the top of the 59th street bridge in New York. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if you can do that anymore, but you know, when we, um, we used to cross that bridge every day, going to school, right? We lived mm-hmm. over in, um, uh, Astoria and we went to school in Manhattan at, at Hunter College, right? Yeah. Like you could get city residency pretty easily and get cheap tuition. And every day we had to cross the 59th street bridge and there was this iron portal that -hmm. was always open on the pedestrian uh, path. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: And we're like, man, one of these days we got to go in that thing and see where it goes. And this one night we're up at my friend Lucas's house was a guy named Lucas, this other dude named Paris who, when you're tripping, reminded you, did you you ever know Madam and Whalen?
0: Uh, No, actually, no. Uh,
2: It was like a, a, uh, what do you call those guys? Um, Ventriloquist act, right? This guy had this very uh, bon vivant, Madam. Oh, no, I know what you're
0: talking about. Yeah, I know what you're
2: talking
0: about. You what she talked like this? Right?
2: Yeah. This guy, like when you're tripping, he was Madam. In oh, Adam and wailing,
0: That's great. You know?
2: Yeah. And and uh, so Lucas and I were a little bit more adventurous than him. And we dragged him to the bridge and we climbed up. We went into that iron portal. Cars going by us. He was like, nobody notices. There's three guys going into that bridge, man. <laughs> and... Um, it was pitch black in there and we climbed up this ladder and up this ladder and up this ladder and it's all exaggerated cause it's pitch black and your mind's racing, you know? And, uh, when I get, I, I was in the lead and, and, and Lucas was in the rear cause we had to keep Paris between us to keep him moving. Mm-hmm. And I got to the top of this thing and, uh, all of a sudden I'm attacked by these winged beasts and I'm like, Whoa, watch out, man. And, and they're like, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? And it turned out there were pigeons at the top of that. Wow. And when I got up there, it spooked the pigeons, and they just spread their wings, and, <laughs> you know, it was exaggerated with the sensory deprivation and everything. Mm-hmm. And then there was this other part up there. You had to kind of swing your leg out and get your footing on this other ladder. And then that went up to a platform. If you look at the bridge it, it's like a it's shaped like a wave or like a like a, a cosine right mm-hmm. and at the the two peaks there are these bridges i don't know if you can you can't make them out too well from street level but you can kind of kind of tell something's there and we laid on those up on those uh platforms and until we started to come down and uh it was uh we saw all kinds of cool stuff that night like up in the sky and the clouds and oh, the wow. city lights and everything yeah nice so there you go that that, that, that Maybe that'll make your behind the scenes a but little bit. Behind weirder. the
0: scenes. Got <laughs> gotta have the weirdness to it, yeah.